Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 17 as we continue back through uh, the Gospel of John. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for the the gift of your son and the glory that we see revealed through Jesus laying his life down upon the cross. And we desire that you would meet us through your word. We know that your word is powerful in our lives. So would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our time that you would lead us and guide us into truth. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This week on Wednesday, Greg Cummings, I almost said George, but his name's Greg, he got to the top of the incline for the thousandth time in 187 days. So in 187 days, he hiked the incline a thousand times. That's an average of five times every day. I've lived in Colorado Springs almost 20 years and I've done the incline twice to put that into uh, perspective. There is some glory revealed there in him being able to accomplish this and him being able to climb uh, the incline. But this morning, we're going to see the glory of Jesus Christ uh, revealed through his crucifixion. It's just moments before Christ is going to be arrested, tried, and crucified, and he prays, he cries out before the Father. This is a very special section of scripture because it's the longest recorded prayer that we have of Jesus. And when someone prays, you really hear their heart. I love to hear people pray because their, their heart is revealed. And we see the heart of Christ being revealed. This chapter breaks itself up into three sections. The first is Jesus prays for the glory of the Father to be revealed. Then he prays for the current disciples. Then lastly, he prays for future believers, which would include us as well. So join me in verse 1 of chapter 17. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven. What words has he spoken? The end of chapter 16 that we studied a few weeks ago. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So Christ has just spoken that, and then he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he begins uh, to pray. Most of the time when we pray, our habit is to close our eyes, and maybe fold, fold our hands. And we definitely see the reason why for that is maybe to try to block out distractions and focus uh, on the Lord. Potentially a Sunday school teacher came up with the idea of fold your hands and close your eyes, right? If you've ever tried to teach five-year-olds uh, about prayer, it's like, all right, all you guys gotta close your eyes and let, let's focus upon the Lord. But we can also pray with lifting our eyes uh, to heaven. So picture Jesus, he doesn't have his head bowed and his hands folded, but his eyes are looking towards, towards heaven. He, his eyes are looking towards his Father. And I'd encourage you at different times in your prayer life with the Lord is to allow your body to have different expressions. The really important thing is the condition of the heart. But there's times to get on our knees before the Lord. There's times to go for a prayer walk and engage with the Lord in that way. There's times to lift our eyes 
to the heavens and focus on God as the creator and pour out our hearts uh, before him. I'd encourage you sometime today or this week to, to find an opportunity to just sit and look at Pikes Peak, not too hard to find a place to do that in Colorado Springs, and look at God and his power as the creator and then begin to speak to him as your father. But Jesus is lifting his eyes to heaven and he is praying and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. It says, Father, the hour has come. Throughout the life of Jesus, he's saying, my hour has not yet come. He's speaking of his crucifixion. But now he's saying, the hour has come. The crucifixion is upon me. And here's his first prayer. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Specifically, in this hour, may Jesus be glorified. In the hour of the crucifixion, would Jesus be glorified so that the Father could be glorified? Where we see the glory of God revealed at the greatest intensity is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, God's glory is revealed in creation. And having the time to drive across uh, the country and seeing all of God's creation, to be at the Oregon coast and to see the redwoods and the ocean, it's amazing to see God's uh, creation. But what if creation was the only revelation of who God is? We would understand that God is powerful, but not necessarily personal. Creation's not overly personal. That amazing thunderstorm that we had yesterday afternoon and evening was powerful, but not personal, right? We look at a tornado or a hurricane, it's powerful, but it's not personal. When we see Jesus being crucified for us, we see the glory of the Father because the Father sent the Son to die upon the cross. The Father's love is revealed for us in Jesus dying upon the cross for our sins. The Father wanting to have a relationship with us to the point and to the degree that he would give what's most valued to him, his Son. And so Jesus is saying, I want to be glorified so that the Father could be glorified. I'd encourage you to meditate upon the cross. Look at the cross in great detail because it's in the cross of Jesus Christ that the glory of the Father is revealed. If you're not feeling loved by God this morning or you feel abandoned by God or you're wrestling through difficulty, focus on the cross of Christ and go, man, I'm loved by the Father because he has given his son for me. So that's the first prayer of Jesus. Verse two, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So the Father has given authority to Jesus, and then Jesus in his authority is able to grant eternal life. We have very little power and very little control. When it comes down to it, we don't have control over much of anything, but Jesus in his authority, he has the ability to grant eternal life. He's able to Give eternal life as a gift to, to those who believe in him, to those who, who trust in him. He says, here you have eternal life, the, the power of Jesus to be able to give that to us. Here's a definition of eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what is eternal life? To know God, to know the Father, to know Jesus in a greater way. Has eternity ever been a little bit intimidating to you? You think about heaven and it's forever. Forever, like what are we gonna do forever? 
Hopefully we're not just playing harps with chubby angels on clouds for all of eternity, right? So what is so exciting about eternity is that there's going to be more to know about God, more to understand about him for all of eternity. The vastness of God's character is that eternity will be granted to us to be able to explore more about him. That's exciting to think about, that God is that grand, that he's that great, that he is that vast. We're able to enter into eternal life now. How? By choosing to know Christ, by choosing to know the Father in a greater way. Life is really about knowing Jesus. One of the things that I did during this time off is I just listened to the book of uh, Philippians. Sometimes it's just fun to get a Bible app and just listen to a book of the Bible. It's amazing how quickly you can listen to a book of the Bible, the book of uh, Philippians. So I was cooking a meal in the kitchen and listening to the book of uh, Philippians and I got to chapter three and Paul was saying, I'm willing to lose everything in my life to be able to gain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. And he's praying to know Christ in a greater way. He uses a strong term to say, I'm willing to count all things as rubbish compared to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Saying, so here's something that I value, but it's really just rubbish. It's just really something that could be cast away compared to knowing Jesus in a greater way. Paul would tell us that the secret and the essence to life is not more stuff or more things or more accomplishments, but it's knowing Jesus. I want to know him in a personal and and intimate way, and and that's eternal life. We're going to spend all of eternity getting to know Christ in a greater way. Sometimes in our relationship with the Lord, it can get a little bit mundane and complacent. We, We don't want to admit that, but it happens, doesn't it? And instead of having this freshness, this excitement about knowing Christ in a greater way, it can be a little bit ho-hum. Like, oh, I've studied the Gospel of John before. I've read the book of Philippians before. I've heard the book of Romans taught before. How many times have we sung this song before, right? You know? And we lose this reality that there's more to learn about the Lord. We almost adopt an attitude of, man, I've been walking with the Lord for five years. I've got him figured out. I've been walking with the Lord for five months. I've got got him figured out. I've been walking with the Lord for for 50 years, some of you may say. I've I've got him figured out. No, we don't have him figured out. There's so much more to to learn about the Lord, no, no matter how long we've walked with him. Eternal life is to know God in a greater way. In verse four, I have glorified you on the earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. This is powerful because Jesus has not yet been crucified upon the cross, but from his perspective, it's already a done deal. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work. Jesus committed before the moment of pain. Jesus committed before the crucible of of the cross. He's already surrendered himself to the cross before that moment comes. And this is really important in our lives as well, is we need to commit, determine, decide to follow Christ before the crisis comes, before the temptation comes. If we're waiting and saying, well, I'm not really sure what I'll do when this temptation arises, most likely we're going to give in to the temptation. 
but we determine beforehand because of who Christ is in our lives and saying, I'm choosing to follow you so when this temptation comes, it's already a decided deal in my life. We see this with Joseph. Potiphar's wife comes and tempts him with sexual sin and he chooses to follow the Lord, but he had made that decision before the temptation came, before the opportunity uh, came. And so we can say, Lord, I'm choosing to, to follow you before the crucible, before the cross. I've already made the decision, and Christ already made the decision because of his love for the Father, because of his love for us. And he says, I've glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Paul expresses something similar at the end of his life. He says, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He had finished what the Lord had uh, given him to do. In verse five, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus enjoyed glory with the Father even before the world was created. God in eternity past, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit hanging out uh, together. And Jesus humbles himself and comes as a man, all God, but also all man in his humanity. And now he's praying for his glory to be revealed that he had shared uh, with the Father. It's going to be incredible to see the glory of God when we enter into heaven, to see the glory that the Father and the Son share together. Things shift now in Jesus' prayer, and he directs his attention upon the disciples. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world, the disciples, the ones that the Father had given to Jesus. Jesus says, I've manifested your name to them. I've manifested your character and your nature to them. Manifest means to make known, to make visible, to illustrate. Jesus is the express image of the Father. He has manifested the Father to the disciples. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given to me. And they received them and have known surely that I come forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. The disciples are a gift from the Father. Jesus had faithfully taught them what he had heard from the Father. They received the teaching that Jesus had given, and they were convinced that Jesus had come from the Father. In verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. It's not that Jesus doesn't love the world, but the disciples obviously have a special place in his heart. He knows that these 11 men are going to be used by the Father to take the message of Christ to the world, so he focuses his prayer upon them. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So this relationship with the Father and Son, there's no selfishness. There's a complete sharing that's taking place there. Jesus is glorified in his disciples. Jesus is glorified in our lives. Verse 11. Now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you've given me, that they may be one as we are one. You guys doing okay? Kind of moving through this pretty fast. There's a lot of really good, good stuff here. 
Jesus says, I'm not going to be in the world any longer, but they're going to be in the world. The disciples are the one that are going to be taking the work from, from this point through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus prays that they would be kept. He prays for the Father's keeping power, his protective power in their lives, that completing work in their lives. He prays that they would be one, just as he and the the Father are one. The unity that the Father and the Son share, so deep, it's so perfect, it's so, so beautiful, and Jesus is praying that the disciples would enjoy that same level of, of unity. There's a lot of different levels of unity. A really good sports team is going to have a level of unity and a cohesiveness. Jesus could have used that as, a, as an illustration. A good marriage has a unity and a cohesiveness, but Jesus uses the ultimate and says, the unity that the Father and the Son enjoy is the unity that the disciples are to enjoy. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he prays that the father would keep the disciples, and then he says, while I was with them, I kept them. I protected them. I continued this work uh, in their lives. The only one that was lost was Judas, Judas Iscariot, and that was to fulfill scripture leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. This is a comfort for us in our relationship with the Lord that his keeping power is upon our lives. He began the good work in us. He's going to complete the work. We didn't start the work. He's a great starter and he's a great finisher. He who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to be able to, to complete it. It's comforting to know that in our lives that God is keeping us in lives of other believers that we love and we care for and our family members. God, God is keeping them. God is going to be faithful to them. Uh, we experienced this in a small way but significant way for us as a family as we uh, drove out to Oregon. So we left on July 7th, loaded up the minivan. Uh, we did some tent camping on the Oregon coast, which w- was fun, and then went to a beach house. So I had all of our camping gear with all of our luggage with all six of us in our minivan. So the car top carrier was loaded with the sleeping bags and the sleeping pads and and those type of things. And no joke, we get to I-25 and Interquest and the check engine light goes on in the van. (laughs) We're like, you know, five minutes away from the house. We'd ventured out to the city limits of Colorado Springs. (laughs) And Amber and I look at each other and we're like, what do we do? Like it's Sunday we're not going to be able to get the car to the mechanic till, till Monday. The whole trip is going to be set off. At, you know, you've got reservations at the state park for camping, and you've, you've reserved this, this beach house. And we just looked at each other and said, we're going to go for it, you know? We're just going to go for it. Uh, you get to Salt Lake City, then you go from Salt Lake City to Southern Oregon, and you drive through places like Winnemucca, Nevada. It's a, it's a de- destination spot for sure. And then from Winnemucca, it's like a two-lane road uh, through Nevada and, and eastern Oregon. And there were literally moments of 20 to 30 minutes where you don't see a car, you know? There's times where they don't even post speed limits or you come to a curve and there's no, like, this is a 45-mile-an-hour curve. It's just like, good luck. Uh, and, 
I, I was stressed. I was like, this check engine light's on the whole time. Lord, this is not a good place uh, to break down. Would you please just get us to Southern Oregon? And we were staying with my aunt and uncle. I knew he had a, a good mechanic. And sure enough, we, we made it to Medford, Oregon. I get the car to the, the mechanic. And he's like, yeah, the check engine light says that the engine's misfiring. You probably need new spark plugs. So we got those replaced got over to the Oregon coast, and the check engine light stayed off for 24 hours. Then it came back. It's like, bink, Merry Christmas, I'm back on the, 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 the check engine light. And again, at this point, what are you going to do? You're just going to keep going and, and pray and, and hope for the best. So we're on the way back. We're on the way home. We stop in at Park City, uh, Utah, and get a, get a hotel. Real early in the morning, we're anxious to get, get home. It's Thursday night, now it's four, Friday morning. Everybody's in the minivan. Again, all this stuff is in the minivan. Amber's driving, and she turns over the key, and the car is just completely dead. She looks over at me, and she's like, Babe, the car is just completely dead. And we're like, I don't think we left any doors open. I'm not sure what's going on, you know. And this moment of just, like, panic came over me, like, oh, there's not even a mechanic that's open this early, right? So I was like, let's see if we can get back into the hotel. There was a couple of young guys working at the hotel, and they were gracious enough to give me a jump. And thankfully, the van jumped, and it started, right? So I, d- I did something risky. I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Is we were like 560 miles from home, and I just said, babe, we're not going to turn off the van until we get home. <laughs> so... If we stop at McDonald's, I'm just going to stay in the parking lot. We're just going to leave the van running. I called my dad and I was like, can I gas up with the car running? My dad got quiet and he's like, well, it's not recommended. But it should be fine, you know. So I, I had to gas up twice, but I just gassed up with the car running. And we, we made it all the way home, right? And then yesterday I drove the minivan a little bit and it's completely dead again, you know? So something's going on with the van, but the story is this, is God had his hand on us. You know, God was keeping us through that whole experience and it's much better to break down here uh, than to break out in the middle of God-forsaken land and have a, a big, big towing bill. Now, if things wouldn't have worked out, you know, if God wouldn't have allowed the van to run, was his hand still upon us? Was his keeping power still upon us? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know you're going through stuff in your, in your life and difficulty and joys and challenges. And know that God is keeping you. God is keeping you. He is committed to us as our, our faithful father. In verse 13, But now I come to you that these things... But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus says, I've come to speak these things in the world so that they may experience my joy. Jesus desires that the disciples and that we would have his joy. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as not I am not of the world. Jesus is not of this world system. The disciples, as they've received the word, they're not of the world system. So because of that, they're going to be hated. In verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You would think in the midst of being hated that Jesus would maybe pray to take the disciples out of the world. But they've got a job to do. 
They've got a job to do to share the love of Jesus Christ, to share the gospel. And so Jesus doesn't pray to take them out of the world. He prays for their protection in the world, protection from the evil one, from Satan. We need to be reminded of this. Sometimes as believers, we want to isolate from the world. We don't want to be around unbelievers. We don't want to be around difficulty. We, we want a safe life. And God's not calling us to a safe life. He's calling us to an effective life. God's not always just wanting believers to move into safer neighborhoods. You know, God's not wanting believers just to, to leave companies because they're secular, because they stand for things that are against God's word. It may be that God has planted you in that neighborhood to be salt and be light. He may have planted you in that company to be able to be salt and light to who Jesus Christ is. He may not be taking us out of those situations, but strengthening us in the midst of those and giving us his protection from the evil one as we walk through that. Verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prays for their sanctification. So as they're in the world, to not be of the world, to not be of this system, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. So what is sanctification? It means to be set apart for a purpose. Think about it this way. In your home, your apartment, you have some utensils that you use to eat with a fork, a knife, and you have those set apart. And hopefully they're much more clean than the tools in your garage, right? The tools in the garage have their purpose as well, but these are your eating utensils. Men, you know what happens if you take some of your wife's cooking utensils, eating utensils, and start working in the garage with those, right? It's like, babe, what are you doing with that knife in the garage in your nasty truck? Oh, you know, I'll clean it. No, it... It's set apart for a purpose, isn't it? And it's the same way as believers. Our lives are set apart for a purpose so that we can be used by the Lord. So how are we sanctified? By the word, the power of the the word of God. As we study the word of God, accept the word of God in our lives, it's gonna have that sanctifying power in our lives. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. The disciples are being sent out. Jesus came as a missionary, leaving comfort, being willing to humble himself and serve and die so that we would know the love of the Father. Now the disciples are being sent out. We're being sent out. We've got a job to do. We're being sent into the world to share the love of Jesus Christ. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus is saying, I'm setting myself apart so that the disciples can be set apart. And that's a truth in our lives. If we want to see God use us in other people's lives, we first have to be set apart for the Lord. We first have to be uh, surrendered to the Lord. The last section of this chapter is Jesus prays for all believers. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus knows that the gospel is going to have impact. They'll be future believers. Here's his prayer for us, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Christ's prayer for us is that we would be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. And the purpose of our unity is so that unbelievers 
could know who the Father is. This is God's design, is that believers would love and care for each other in such a way that unbelievers would go, man, there's something different about that group of people. I want to explore who the Father is. So unity is so important to the heart of God. That's the prayer that Jesus gives for the disciples, for us. In verse 22, in the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. These are incredible statements, incredible truths. The glory that was given to Jesus has been given to us for the purpose of our unity, for the purpose of us being one. I in them and you in me, and they may be made perfect in one. So Jesus in us, I in them, and you in me, the Father in Jesus. So Christ is in us, so that we could be completed in one. This word perfect, it means completed or, or mature. So God is giving us his glory. Jesus is living inside of us so that we could be complete in being one. Why does the church tend to struggle with unity? Because Satan attacks the church and wants us to divide because the testimony of Jesus is at stake. If believers are fighting with each other, The testimony of Jesus is lost in the community. As believers love each other and live in this unity that God has given to us, the Father is glorified. The gospel is illustrated to those who don't know Christ as their Savior. So I want to share my heart on this in in two ways. The, The first is this, is for us at Rocky Mountain Calvary, is we are about the body of Christ as a whole. We're just a very small portion of the body of Christ. We're a part of something that is much bigger. So we love the other churches in town that love Jesus, that are committed to the word, and we are connected together as one. So when God looks down and he sees Colorado Springs, he doesn't see Rocky Mountain Calvary and New Life Church and Mountain Springs and First Pres. He sees his family. He sees his brothers and sisters in Christ. So I believe that this is happening, but desire it to continue to happen in the future is we want to be a church that builds up other churches in town. That we're not tearing down other believers. We're not in competition with other churches. We're building up the body of Christ as a whole. And so we're loving on the other churches of of the city. And I've got to tell you, we're blessed with a lot of good churches in Colorado Springs. And there's a lot of wonderful pastors that love Jesus, that are teaching the word, that are good friends of mine. And so as you know, believers that are going to other churches, just encourage them, love on them and and build them up because we're a part of the body as a whole. This is one of the reasons why we don't have church membership at, at Rocky Mountain Calvary. Sometimes people will ask me, hey, can I become a member of RMC? I'm like, well, if you decide for RMC to be your church home, you're a member here. Because the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you became a member in the body of Christ. And we want us to see the body of Christ in a bigger way than just one local fellowship. We're thankful for our church, but we're part of the body of Christ as a whole. And the other thing that I want to share my heart on in this is is notice that it says, as we're connected together in unity, then we're perfected we're matured. And please hear this. There's a part of your relationship with the Lord that can only be developed and expand as you are in relationship with other believers. My concern for us as American Christians, 
me included, is it's really easy for us to be individualistic in our relationship with God. And we view a relationship with God as Jesus and me, Jesus and me, Jesus and me. And that's true. We have a personal, individual relationship with God that is Jesus and me. But as we draw near to Jesus, we're going to care about what Jesus cares about, and that's the body of Christ. And I believe that the Bible teaches us that we've got to be in relationship with one another as believers, because that's how we're perfected. And as we're in relationship with other believers, that's our testimony to those who don't know Christ as their Savior. One of the things that we're seeing take place is, you know, you can now attend church without being around people. And we're part of that. We live stream all of our services. Why do we do that? Because we want to reach people with the love of Jesus Christ. And we want the live stream, hopefully, Lord willing, to bring, be a bridge that brings people into a relationship with a local church, whether it's our church or it's another church in the city or it's another church uh, in, in the country. And we see God doing that. He's using that. It it makes sense. You know, somebody a long time ago decided we're going to use radio to get God's word out. Well, our phones have long replaced radio, haven't they? You know, and so we, we stream our services. If you're listening to the live stream this morning, we're so glad that you're listening and you're participating with us. But this is where I want to challenge you is don't allow a live stream or a podcast to become your church. Because before you know it, you're in a silo by yourself. And maybe you've got your spouse, maybe you've got your family, but, but you're, you're alone there. And you're taking in the word and you're, you're taking in worship, but before long, you're going to find yourself not in relationship with, with believers. And it's so important to take the time to be in relationship uh, with the believers. It's really important to commit to a local church and say, I'm going to be in relationship with these people that I'm in church with. Be in relationship with believers in your neighborhood. Be in relationship with believers at your workplace and your, in your kids' school. You're saying, man, he's really picking on the live stream folks right now, right? I'm imagining the chat bar on the live stream. Some pe- we love you on the live stream. Now I'm going to pick on all of us. Is that okay? So it's easy for us to say, well, I attended a service. I'm good, you know? I've made that extra effort actually to to be in attendance, but it's easy to come to a service here and not be in relationship with people, right? It's like I I come in, I didn't talk to anybody, I took in worship, I took in the word, and I left. And I think if that's all we do, we're missing out. We're missing out on what God intended of saying, live out this unity so that you can be perfected. Live out this unity so that the world can see the love of the Father. So how do you do that? Well, Some of you guys, a lot of you guys sit in the same seats every week, right? And you look around and you go, man, there's some people here that sit in the same seats every week. Take the opportunity to get to know them. Take the opportunity to enjoy the well before or after service. That's the design for it, you know. Sit down and have a conversation with people. Come to the cafe before or after service. Start serving once a month. You're going to have relationship. Be a part of a a connect group as they start in the fall or join a men's study or a women's study. But the neat thing about the book of Acts is it's led by the Lord. It's led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is gonna lead us into relationship with other believers, but it's so important. And I think as times change 
and the spiritual climate gets more difficult in our country, we're going to need each other more and more. We don't have time to be bashing on other Christians. Amen? We don't have time to be bashing on other churches. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we need one another. And if we're honest in our lives right now, we need other believers. And so that's the way God's designed it. That's the, his heart for us is to be in relationship with one another. Well, I'm off my soapbox. We'll continue with verse 23. And the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. We have to pause and let that sink in. And you have loved them as you have loved me. The same way the Father loves Jesus, he loves us. That's powerful. So we receive that and believe that individually. Oh, wow. Father, you love me the same way that you love Jesus. And then we believe that about one another. Wow, Lord, you love my brothers and sisters in Christ the same way that you love Jesus. That's the tremendous love of the Father. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you've loved me before the foundation of the world. He says, I can't wait for my disciples to be with me all believers to be with me in glory, to see my glory revealed, the glory that you have, have given me. Jesus' understanding of heaven and perspective of heaven is so different from ours. He, he longs for us to be home with the Lord. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus says, I have manifest your name, but I'm going to declare your name to him. Jesus is going to declare the nature of the Father through the cross, through the sacrifice of the cross, so that the love that the Father has for Jesus would be in us, that Jesus would be in us and that we would have love for one another. This chapter, this prayer of Christ, we really see his heart. It comes down to this, that the glory of the Father is revealed in the gift of Jesus on the cross. And as we experience the glory of the love of the Father, that that results in us loving one another us caring for one another, us walking in unity together so that the world can see the reality of who God is. So let's pray together. Father, we want to take a moment and, and pause and ask that through the Holy Spirit you would allow these truths to set in in our hearts and in our lives. It's easy for us to Take a quick glance at the cross. But Jesus, your willingness to lay down your life for us. Father, that you would give your only begotten son for us. We thank you for your love. That you would love us individually, but you would love us corporately. And we ask that you would grow our love for one another. We thank you for the unity that we have. We pray that you would increase that unity. We thank you for the relationship that we have with one another, with believers. Would you increase that relationship? We do thank you for the body of Christ as a whole. We pray your blessing on the body of Christ. Would 
would you bless Vanguard Church as they meet this morning in Discovery Church and Calvary Methodist? Lord, would you bless Mountain Springs and Woodman Valley Chapel and New Life Church and Calvary Worship Center? Or would you continue to bless the pastors and the leaders and, and strengthen them? And Lord, would you just abound our love for one another so that the world can see the reality of who you are. So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.